Now this is a story that as I get older and lose my own memories, I can relate to pretty, pretty well. <laughs> I think we all can at some point. Forgot to go get my hair cut yesterday. Ah, where is Funes when I need him? <laughs> <laughs> we have Borges playing with his usual array of eternity, universality, particularity. <laughs> one, one might even be drawn to kind of like the element of the eidetic memory that you've brought up earlier or like the autistic savants there's just so much swimming around in a Borges story there's definitely a lot to digest here and I think this is a story that again Borges does a great job of making it relatable to all of us because we all have memories that's something I think is inherent to everybody but then it goes one step further of what are those memories what do they mean to you are they trustworthy etc etc I got a quote from Borges that I thought was kind of interesting, and I thought I'd share it with you because we're actually reading this novel right now. When I suffered from insomnia, I tried to forget myself, to forget my body, the position of my body, the bed, the furniture, the three gardens of the hotel, the eucalyptus tree, the books on the shelf, all the streets of the village, the station, the farmhouses. And since I couldn't forget, I kept on being conscious and couldn't fall asleep. Then I said to myself, let us suppose there was a person who couldn't forget anything he had perceived. And it's well known that this happened to James Joyce, who in the course of a single day could have brought out Ulysses, a day in which thousands of things happened. I thought of someone who couldn't forget these events, and who in the end dies swept away by his infinite memory. In a word, that fragmentary hoodlum is me. Or is an image I stole for literary purposes, but which corresponds to my own insomnia. So we start to see this is a little bit of a love letter to kind of the torture of just having that active mind and just having to relive and think things that he kind of creates and weaves this literary horror story in a sense. Isn't that something that's always kind of brought up that the greatest writers and artists and poets ever, musicians, what not, they all seem to almost struggle with this overactive imagination, this overactive mind that they can never turn off, that a lot of times Poe, for example, maybe Stephen King, Borges, James Joyce, it seems to almost drive them mad to a point of that they forget who they are themselves because they can't turn off being everybody else inside of their muse, their literature, their music, their whatever. Mm -hmm. And holding on to... You know, each individual character's thoughts and desires and passions, it's got to be maddening trying to think things through through so many different angles and keep it all straight. It's got to be exhausting. I can understand why Borges kept the short stories, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's funny. All right. So let's um, let's start from the beginning. Right. We, we, we open with the death of Funes. Right. And he's collecting. Someone's collecting stories about him, and the narrator's like, okay, well, I only saw him three times, so my testimony is going to be real brief. And, and there's so many different ways to relate on this, right? Because, okay, yeah, if I didn't know a guy and, and I was asked to speak at his funeral, like, do, is my view of this, this person the same view as everyone else's? Is the collectiveness of, of everyone talking about him and, and what we saw or didn't see the same from this person. Like, how is that going to help people through grief? Like, it would be terrifying had I only met the person three times. I don't think I could do it, first of all. If I only had three memories to draw upon about somebody, I would try to take the most positive things and hone in and focus on those. Like, I would take that as my thesis statement 
And I wouldn't embellish. I wouldn't go off on tangents. It would be very concise. And I think that if you're trying to comfort people, as you said, for example, or you're trying to give a eulogy or a speech or something, I think that's going to help you by not having all of that distraction. It's going to help you focus and hone in, which might necessarily be a bad thing. We'll get more into this, but what I think about with this scene is how you have these people coming together to tell the story of a person, right? And we each are coming with an each with a slice, a particular view, and I use that word particular on purpose when it comes to presenting them, right? And what happens is, is we have generalizations that start to form out of all of these particularities, right? Like, like we start to see patterns and we start to say, yes, that is a trait of Funes. Funes was that type of person. And it's this, this play of knowledge between a particular and a generalization that is very strong with the story is what I would start with. And of course, there's tons of philosophical nods, right? Like there's, uh, we'll get to the John Locke piece, but there's even like some mention of Nietzsche with the Superman in the beginning that uh, some scholars have traced to some specific lines of Nietzsche's writing about being lost in this stream of consciousness, of knowledge, that it's 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 something that Bodhis is very good at playing with, is how quickly we can get lost in the rabbit hole of information, how we can get swept up with details, and we don't even know where we're going to go, kind of like poor Alice sometimes. Yeah, I, I did like the reference there to going down the rabbit hole. I think that having Funes himself have this gift or curse, whatever you want to call it, and then everybody else trying to do what he did together collectively says a lot about us as peoples and what our relationships mean to each other, even of only meeting somebody three times, that we, we have this collective consciousness that we try to bring together because I think it's important of how we interact with one another. And Funes himself would have never forgot anything, and he could have re reflected back every single person's life of his interaction with them to a T. And I think that that is something that is, uh, as I said, is, is a negative as much of it as a positive. Well, there's, there's an element of that almost like working together to tell that story the way that we see, you know, when we go, like we recall that the 1884 uh, memory were like, oh, he knew the time without even being able to refer to the sky. Like he just knew. And that's kind of, I think, probably the trigger for a lot of people to think of like autistic savants or those people that have those types of like just those things that allows them to do something so amazing that to your point, you're going to remember, like you're going to remember that particular moment. But it's the way that we kind of come together to tell the story that it, that's that's part of the humanity experience is bringing things together because we are forgetful we do forget things and and Borges is specifically even injecting that into the words he uses in the story because you'll notice he's always says as i recall or my cousin told me this for a fact or i believe it was along these lines the narration even plays with knowledge where it's trying to recall this event from over, what was it, 50 years ago? Like, that has to be brushing off some of the cobwebs. And he uses his language to even reflect how sketchy uh, some of these particularities and memories are. Exactly. Borges does a brilliant job here of making a clear distinction between the narrator, Funes, and everybody else of how unique this individual was, whether he's a savant or whatever he is. He is clearly different than everybody else, and that those key words, those choice phrases, make clear that the narrator, I think, is not necessarily 
uh, knowingly an unreliable source, but he is someone unreliable. How do we know then? Is it just because we trust because everybody says the same thing, that collective consciousness that that everybody's putting together these generalities, that that's who Funes was? Did he really have this memory or is it everybody just kind of thinks it because everybody thinks it? Mm -hmm. So that's the first meeting of him. It's the second meeting where we have the accidental miracle, right? Where he falls off the horse, he's paralyzed, and all of a sudden he has this gift of never being able to forget but also never really being able to generalize. We're, we're starting to enter into like the nominalization era here, but let's, let's start simple with talking about how, okay, he wanted to borrow the Latin books, right? And our narrator, Borges, whomever he is, brings the books over. He's like, oh, this is kind of ridiculous. You're not going to learn Latin just from reading a book. And, you know, suddenly he gets the message that his, his father's health is ailing, Right. And you can't help but think about Borges' health is ailing too, with his blindness is seeping in, and he starts to potentially, you know, they talk about when you lose a sense, your other senses pick up, maybe increase their ability to help that individual out, that, uh, you know, this poor Funes, who is now paralyzed, can't move or do anything, perhaps this this gift, this secret miracle is his other parts of his brain enhan like enhancing his life and, 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 and does that through perfect memory in a sense. Or maybe it's a curse, as, as, as we will soon find out. But anyways, he drops the Latin book off, right? And he's like, is he really going to learn Latin? He gets the message, comes back, and what happens? He knows Latin. <laughs> this reminds me of the movie, what is it, Phenomenon, I think, with... Uh, oh, who is it? Who's the main actor in that? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, oh, John Travolta. Yes, John Travolta. And he, you know, gets this same kind of gift where he can have, you know, a super memory. And he reads Portuguese like in 20 minutes and learns the whole language or most of it. And again, I think this is showing off the positive side of it. But as you pointed out, I think that there obviously always has to be a mirror image of, you know, oh, that'd be so cool to have that super memory and never forget anything and learn all of this knowledge. Like every book, every story I read, I would remember everything. and I could quote it back for us. Una, it'd be so amazing. And on the surface, that seems grand. There is always a but, though. That is so much more beautiful because I almost hate to admit it, but my my mind actually went to there's this old movie where this kid like fell down and hurt his elbow and all of a sudden he had like a professional MLB level like fastball like that he would throw real fast. The rookie. <laughs> I think your reference is much better than mine. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so what does this mean for Funes, right? Because he starts going and living life where he sees a dog facing sideways and then the dog faces towards him and he thinks it's ridiculous that people think it's the same dog, right? Because just the perspective of the dog shifts. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous that people think it's the same dog and to go through a forest and, and he can't even generalize that these are leaves. Each individual leaf he can recall and might have a special name for. And that's where they even call out John Locke specifically in the text here. So very clearly a nod that we need to start talking about this, this play with language where what happens if you take a particular, like a leaf and you don't have a generalization. Like you can't call it a leaf. It's 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 this thing, and each individual thing has a unique name, so that everything's a particular, and there is no generalization. Like this is really really interesting to see 
compared against Borges' opening, um, like mentioned in the letters, where he, his mind is racing. He can't let it rest. It's so full of the impossible clashing with the possible in so many regards. The way I thought about this, too, is how could I even imagine that as somebody with, I think, a decent memory? How would I comprehend that? And I thought about it this way. How many people do you think you know? Just off the top of your head. Or known your whole life. Known my whole life? Yeah. How many people? That I can still name? uh, I'm going to say 50. 50. Yeah. Maybe 50. Maybe if you're very popular, outgoing, maybe you could remember 100 people from your whole life. That's a lot of people. Remember their face. Think about their face right now. Every single face. Every single name. Their eyes. Their hair color. Their job. Now imagine that a thousand people, a million, a billion. Imagine it every single person on earth is unique and special, and you know their face, their name, and every detail about them. That would break your brain. And now imagine, not only is it people, but every single object you look at, you know is unique and special. Every car, every tree, and every leaf. That's just too much information for, I think, one person to be able to comprehend rationally. And that's well, how, what breaks Funes. Well, isn't that what language does is it helps us communicate? Okay, the way I love my wife is not the way you love your wife, right? It, it, it's just not the same. We probably express things differently. We might have different temperaments or feelings towards things. But we can both say, I love my wife, Right. It would be asinine to have to learn a new word for how every man or every every spouse loves their other spouse. It, it would be too difficult and it would it would slow down and frustrate because once I met a new couple, I would have to learn not only their names, I have to learn what their version of love is. It would have a new word. Generalizations are something that help communication, I think. And it's also one of those things that in terms of like the nominalism that we were, I mentioned earlier you know, when we think about red, right, and I look at a car lot, there could be 20 different cars out there of red that might be totally different shades, but nobody's going to argue like, oh yeah, those are, those are red, but what is the true form of red? We, we don't have that. There isn't a true form of red. It's just a way of perceiving things. So I wonder too, like these particulars, right? Generalizations are attributes that just kind of talk about how people perceive things and being able to communicate that. I think that's what makes us truly human, right? To be able to understand and to relate how other people perceive things is important as opposed to each individual particularity of experience. But if everything was exactly the same all the time, we wouldn't have uniqueness. And I think there is a good distinction between generality and uniqueness. It's when you go to one extreme or the other and you make everything general or everything unique, Funes in this case, is where you run into the problem. You want that happy medium. You need to be able to bounce back and forth to generalize red. But then if you're an artist, you want to have specific types of red because they're not all the same. And and that's what's you know brilliant about this story is the lesson we're learning here is that while the narrator maybe not have a perfect memory like Fune's and it's faulty a little bit and he's having to dust off the cobwebs as you said, it's okay. And that's, I think, something that we have to learn to accept is that our memories are faulty. They aren't perfect. They're going to degrade over time, but that is okay. 
I would love to, maybe it's out there and I just haven't seen it. I would love to know what Borges' thoughts were on like John Locke. Like I know he obviously loves, you know, sprinkling philosophy in a lot of his uh, works and explores them because I wonder with John Locke, one of the things that he was really vehement on is clarity and language and how if we can get more precise with how we communicate, we can improve true knowledge by really understanding and articulating, you know, our thoughts. And that might come with more words. And at what point, you know, to Borges' argument here in a sense, is it too many words? When when you have these generalities, right, that says, you know, this is this is a car, right? Well, what about those trucks? Are those no longer cars? What makes it a truck? What happens when a truck has six wheels? Like, you know how sometimes they have the four wheels in the back as opposed to the two? Like, does the generality have have to have all of the attributes that that the particular has? Or does the particular have to have all of the attributes of the generality? And, and it starts to just get almost tedious, almost frustrating sometimes when you're trying to be too particular and you have those, you know what I mean. Right, like, come on, you get what I'm saying, right? Oh, it definitely makes sense. Uh, the whole time I was thinking, El Camino. <laughs> is it a truck or is it a car? I don't know. <laughs> but I think to your point is that when you're you're looking at also all of this, and we're talking about generalities, and we're talking about specifics, uniqueness, is on top of that, and again, so many layers, is that people are complex, language is complex, people and language evolve. And then you have all of these words that we're using, and to your point of that, well, how how do I communicate with somebody? They they go to to the extreme, and you know I'm trying to talk about this subject, and and I had this happen when I was teaching with students as I would use a word that had become outdated, or I'd used a word that its meaning had changed, or a word that that had evolved over time and become more you know specific, and I wasn't using it correctly. Then how do you communicate? And I think that's what it comes back to, like, Funes is he he can't communicate anymore because everything has a specific word. There, there, and there aren't enough words for him to communicate anymore because he can literally see the difference in everything because he knows everything's specific nature. Yeah, yeah, he can't, he can't generalize. It, it is literally impossible for him, and it breaks him to your point. Now, no, okay, so that's the external, like, he can't relate externally on some level. Right? Like he thinks it's ludicrous that the dog facing forward or sideways is, is the same dog. Another thing that you can think about when it comes to John Locke in the story is that idea of personal identity. How does Funes view himself as opposed to how we view him to the point earlier in the eulogy uh, in terms of, of who is he as a person, right? Because me, Una, I understand literature on a much different level than when you and I started this channel three years ago. I understand Borges on a different level than when I started reading him. I'm also a much different person than when I was 20, right? But I'm still Una. I'm still me, right? Even though I'm changing like the Theseus's ship argument piece by piece, for some reason, I still maintain this identity and people around me, like, Hopefully I'm in someone's top 50 that they remember me, that that they, they can still remember Una for being Una, right? And one of John Locke's arguments is that this, this consciousness, the fact that 
41-year-old Una and 20-year-old Una, we can relate to those eight-year-old Una's experiences and thoughts, and we have the same continuity on some level, that that's what allows this, this particularity of me to, to generalize into being me, right? So for Funes, who thinks that the forward dog versus sideways dog and each leaf has to have a unique experience and identity, well, how does he then relate and understand identity of others in that regard too, right? Is he not going to have a problem generalizing if each time something changes from the Theseus' ship argument, you change one board, it's a totally different ship. Well, that's going to, I think, strip him of what it means to be human. I think part of the argument we can make is that generalizations and this collectiveness is part of the human experience and memories being forgetful is part of that patching. It's part of the personal consciousness that is unique to, to human beings. Yes. The whole time I thought about this at the end of the story and as we kind of think of Funes as a person or as to your point, no longer a person you could almost think of him as becoming an AI, becoming a robot, a, a program, so to speak, because he no longer has to think he just is. And I think that, that, that you lose touch with your emotions when you're completely logical, when you're all an intellect, you lose a piece of yourself. And that's one of the things I think that breaks him is that that loss of who he is, he can't accept that anymore. Uh, or maybe he's not able to accept that anymore. And that's really, really sad. And I think that's, that's, that's where it's more of a curse than a blessing of that, you know, not being able to forget anything is very robotic. Because uh, you want to forget things. You know, those worst moments in your life, while they may help define you, or they may help, you know, choose a path or a course in your life, they they are going to fade, you know, with a with with the passage of time, and that's a good thing because you don't want those searing red hot in your front of your mind at all times. That's the only way you're going to grow and get past them. And Funes can't do that, so there is no progression. His twenty year old self and forty year old self have come to a, a convergence, and so there there is no split, there is no growth. And I think that elicits perfectly Borges's point about when he is trying to fall asleep in all of these memories and all of these thoughts. Cause you know, he had that, that thing where uh, like sensory things and colors and smells like they, they mash together and, and the recall, like there's scientific evidence that says the recall of that is stronger. So for Borges to have to relive these moments when he says it's like the narrator says it's torture you know, to be with Funes because you're going to be immortalized in these moments. I think that's Borges talking to himself. I think that's Borges talking to his struggle about how he can't fall asleep and he's forced to be tortured by some of these memories, these ideas, these experiences, these smells, and he just can't eject them from his mind. He's forced to lay there and just re-experience them and think about them when that's the last thing that he wants to do. It's it's literally writing his own torture into his his literature. And all the things wrong too. And that's I think as humans, a lot of times we we focus on the negative, and I think that's inherent to us of you know uh, the survival of the species. We we hone in a lot of times. It's hard to save the good and forget the bad. It's very easy to be angry. It's very difficult to be happy sometimes. 
And when you have both of them always at your, 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 your fingertips all times, that's difficult. And when you're laying there trying to reach that subconscious state like Borges was, I think that that's tough because you're always going to, I think, drift just by human nature of trying to survive that's been built into our DNA. You're going to drift towards that negative so often and just it would be torturous. Isn't that kind of like what we're doing right now? We we are in the moment enjoying like this is two best friends talking about literature, right? But the th I mean, when when we go back and edit these videos, we publish them like we do the best that we can. But oh, man, is there not times where like, I wish I had done that differently. Oh, no, I, I, I really didn't explain that well. Or I wasn't very clear. And I'm insinuating things that I didn't mean. Or oh, I learned something two years later, I no longer think the way I did in that exact moment. We are torturing ourselves by putting it out on the internet, right? And, and potentially being wrong and have poorly explained things for however long YouTube's up or, or this podcast is up, right? Like we're willingly stepping into this experience in some regards of immortalizing a moment and never really being able to like take it back, to undo it, to change it. At least with memories, they exist only with those present to have to have been there for that moment, right? And here we are putting it out on the internet. Well, is this going to be our last talk ever? Because I feel like I just talked myself into that. <laughs> Those videos are forever, Una. I think that that is something that's crucial to also being human is that when I think back to that that Christmas, and we, we've talked about, you know, uh, in some videos of our favorite Christmas and stuff, I know that my brain has altered it some, that I filled in gaps. I've made it better than it really is. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm accepting of that. And I think that when we look back at those videos, we have to be accepting and grow as people and say, I don't think that way anymore. I am different. I have a new generalization or I have a new specific. And you can amend that. Just like your memories, you can amend who you are. All right, let us know what we ought to have amended in this video. Okay, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, all the other 300 videos we posted, not this one. This one's perfect. <laughs> all right, guys, we love Borges. Obviously, we've been going through his works here. Let us know what Borges works you'd love to see from us next. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with us, master writer here. Uh, I hope to have honored him just a little bit with our talk today. And honestly, man... I, every time I read a Borges stories, I just get so excited because he's just such a master of his craft. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just I just can't say enough positive things about it. So thank you for spending time with us today. Peace. Peace. <laughs>